Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for the message of that song, the message that is yours, that you have delivered to us, that our sin has been nailed to the cross. Lord, some of us come into your house today and we're, we're carrying an ugly burden. Some of us actually hate ourselves for the things that are wrong in our lives, the things that we have done. God, I pray that you'd minister to that person right now. Let them know of your love and your grace and your forgiveness. And Lord, while there's those who are struggling with that, there's those on the other end that think I'm not that bad and my my sin's no big deal. Oh God, may we realize that it took a great cost to deal with that little sin that's no big deal. But you paid it. You were gracious and kind. You displayed your grace. Fathers, we come in here today and into this time of worship. I I pray for us the opportunity to rest in that love, to know the security of being in a relationship with you. Lord, we come in here today. I've prayed this so many times with all kinds of things. Lord, there are people in here that need guidance. Would you guide them today, Lord? I pray that as they leave here, they have a a, a sense of leadership from you and, and your word in their life. Lord, others need healing. Would you touch them right now? Would you restore health and strength emotionally, physically, spiritually? Fathers, others in here need resolution in a relationship, in a situation. Would you resolve it? And God, may it be real clear that it didn't just work out. May it be real clear it was by your hand and your touch that it happened. And as they see that happen this week, would they acknowledge you And as your Scripture instructs us to do, will they tell others of your great and wonderful work? Father, whatever we need today, may we see that you're the answer. You are all we need. You have all we need. Our life is in you. And you are so gracious, kind, and good to provide it. You've provided us with your word. and We're grateful for that, Lord. And we give to you now our time, our devotion, our attention to studying that word. And letting you continue to speak to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's been a while, but I, I mentioned one once before, and I'm sure some of you remember, that I had a, a unique opportunity to, to meet and visit with George W. Bush. And I, I don't mean I was just standing there as the parade went by. I was in a, in a room in a very small setting for about 30, 45 minutes with him. What I didn't tell you when I told you that story of however long ago that was is I was probably the only one in the room who didn't actually belong there. Uh, This was in South Carolina and he was meeting with a a group of senior pastors. Uh, There was probably about 10 or 12 of them uh, there in the room. And my senior pastor, the, the guy I worked with for 11 years, called me up the night before he was going to this and said, I'm going to meet with George W. Bush in the morning. Do you want to go? And I said, oh, let me think. Yes, golly, uh, yeah, let's leave right now. I was man, I thought this is this is awesome. How how incredible. And you know what? I felt very blessed. I felt blessed to be called. I felt blessed to be going. I knew I was in there by by my relationship with him had nothing to do with with me being in there. And so that morning we uh, we get up and we head over there and I drive over. 
And uh, being the wonderfully nice person I am, I offered to drop him off at the door instead of, you know, making him walk to the, from the parking lot. And so I drove up, dropped him off, and then I went and parked the car. Well, when he went in, instead of the, the Secret Service, instead of taking him to the room where all the pastors were meeting, they took him upstairs to, to Bush's suite where he was staying. And, and when I got inside and found out where they had taken him, first thing I thought is, I should have been with him. I could have been with him. Why? I was parking the car. And you know what? Here I walked in. I took the shortest trip in my life. I started feeling very blessed. I started feeling like, what a privilege. And in about three seconds, I traveled over here to feeling ripped off. Man, I should be up there in Bush's room, not down here with a bunch of these fools. It is amazing how quick that trip happened. Have some of you taken that trip? From feeling blessed and privileged to feeling ripped off? Man, yeah, we, that happens in our lives and will happen again. You know, I think our nation, our whole entire nation is an illustration of this. You know, there was a time, I don't think we're like this anymore. There was a time when the average person in America felt very blessed just to be born here. Just to be called an American. And we might feel that way sometimes on certain dates or maybe in the event of certain tragedies and we get a little patriotic. But it used to be that it was a blessing to be an American. Now, you owe me something. I'm an American. You, this nation, you owe me something. Entitlement is the mood of the day. Now, that may be a kind of a, a new thing happening in America, but entitlement is not new to humanity. It's been around as long as, well, humanity. Remember when God created the whole world? And He gave this entire planet. Can you imagine that? The entire planet. He gives it to two people, Adam and Eve. He says everything is yours. The rocks, the seas, the skies, the trees. It's all yours. Every bit of it. Except one tree. The entire planet is yours. One tree. And all it took was Satan and a little temptation to, to fuel that human desire. And all of a sudden, the whole world wasn't enough. God's holding back from me. God's keeping something from me. I'm entitled to what's on that tree. That's our tendency. To go from having everything to being very blessed, to having it handed to us, to thinking, you owe me this. I belong here. This is mine. That's our tendency. And we come to a passage today that wants to nip it. Nip it in the bud. Gosh, it's hard to believe that would need to happen. I mean, it's a passage that is going to, again, follow from last week, communicate how greatly God loves us, but it's going to make it very clear you are not owed this. I find it frustrating that I need to hear that message. Man, I, you know, I think a lot of you were like me last week. You left here just feeling enormously blessed. As we looked at that, word, that, that passage we looked at last week and we studied it and we, we saw our condition, we saw what God had done in our lives, we realized that, that yes, our lives were hopelessly entangled in the world, controlled by Satan. We were giving in to sinful desires. We were destined for wrath. We were dead. But God... Remember those two great words in Ephesians 2, 4? But God, God moved. God loved 
And the result was we became incredibly blessed. And it is very possible that we can go from feeling very blessed to being a child of God to traveling over here to where we stand in God's presence and act like, I own this spot. I was owed this position. That's right, God, You owe me. You owe me some answers. You, you owe me help. You, you owe me fresh proof of Your love for me. That's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? A concept. God owing us. We do approach Him like that. We do approach Him as He owes us. Have you ever thought, though, what is it that, that I do, that we do? What is it about us that puts God in the position of owing us something? What do we do? Let's think about what we've done this morning. Give? When we give money, does that obligate God to do? Well, no. No, because every penny of it's from Him. Not just the money we gave. That's, that's not the part that's His. All of it is His. And I have to give an account for it one day. So I can't really take credit for having given Him something when He gave it to me to begin with. Well, how about our time? Man, we all came in here this morning. We're giving God this time. Our, our Well, no. No, the time's from Him also. <laughs> Just like every penny is him from Him, so is every heartbeat. I don't have a heartbeat, I don't have a breath, but were it from Him. And I have to give account for every bit of that too. So I can't take any credit for giving... Oh, I know what I give them. I give them good things, right? I mean, the Bible tells us to be, to be good people and to do good deeds and to do good acts. So when I give God these, these good acts, then that obligates Him then to, to do... Well, no... No, that doesn't count either because it's God that defines what good is and it's God that empowers me and enables me to do the good. No, we really can't take credit for that either. Do you realize God is never in a position to have to say thank you? Have you ever thought that? Not, not just in your life, anywhere, at any time, with anyone, anything. God has never been in a spot where He had to say, thank you. Which makes it all the more incredible that He has done what He's done in our lives. Let's look at that a little bit further this morning. Would you turn with me to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue our study in this great letter. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 6. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I hope you'll grab one there in the pew and read along with us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says here, He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that's not from yourselves. It's God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Now, you remember what we looked at last week. Last week, we saw our condition. We are dead. That's our spiritual condition. We're dead to God. But God, 
God made us alive. You remember looking at that last week? God did three things when after that, but God. The first one we looked at last week. He made us alive. He brought us to life spiritually so that our life could count. He brought us to life spiritually so that we could relate with Him both now and forever. It was God's grace that did that. That that whole act of making us alive originated in Him. It wasn't a response to who we were. It wasn't a response to something we did. No, the whole thing originated in Him and was accomplished in Him, was provided by Him. We looked at that last week. He made us alive. He did two other things. He also raised us up. He resurrected us. You know, we think about resurrection... And we think about a a physical event that is going to take place in the future. I'm going to get resurrected out of the grave and taken up to heaven. That's not what this verse is referring to. This verse refers to that as having already happened. It refers to it as a present reality. I've been resurrected right now. This is referring to a spiritual resurrection. We were made alive and we were resurrected. We were raised up in a new life, a new creation in God. That's taking place right now. Right now I've been resurrected with, yes, a a future reality to come, but spiritually it's true right now. And then that third thing, He seated us in the heavens. Here again, we might think, okay, now that's going to be something, you know, after I've died and then I enter into heaven, I'm, I'm going to get a seat in heaven. No, that, re- that verb tense there is a past tense thing. It's already happened and has a present reality. Right now, folks, I'm seated in heaven with God. Right now, I've got a, I've got a chair, I've got a position, my name on it in heaven. And, and by this seat, by having been seated in heaven with God... From this position right here derives all kinds of spiritual benefits. My inheritance comes because I have this seat. I I have this position in heaven. From having this spot provided by God, I've got His guidance. I've got His help. I've got His presence in my life. I've got insight to His eternal plan. I've got an eternal perspective. Do you know that by this spot right here, I've got a heavenly spot a heavenly status that, that gives me a heavenly power. And with this spot right here, I can conquer sin and death. Do you realize there's not a chair on earth that provides that? that? There's not an earthly position. There's not an earthly status that affords you, that gives you the ability to conquer sin and death. That comes because I sit in this chair right here. This has been provided for me by God. I I didn't think of this. I didn't originate it. I didn't do anything to move God to provide this. This all originated in God, was accomplished by God, and provided in God. And, And we see that message over and over. This same message we've been referring to all the way throughout this study of Ephesians. Look at the the middle of verse five or the beginning there. We were made alive what? With the Messiah. Look at verse six. Raised up with him. Seated with him. Into verse six. In Christ Jesus. Into verse seven. In Christ Jesus. You see, I have no right to this chair. I have no access to this position. I can't do anything to bring myself to this place outside of a connection to Jesus Christ. It is in Christ that we have this opportunity. 
Now, now, why would God give me, why would God give you a seat at the table? But why, why would He give us a, a chair in heaven, especially after what we looked at last week and we consider the condition that we were in? Well, verse 7 answers that question why He does it. So that... You you were made alive, you were raised up, you were given a seat, you were given a a spot in heaven. Why? So that in the coming ages, that's the age right now and that's in ages still to come, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace. We just heard the choir sing that, didn't we? Displaying His grace. He put me here to display His immeasurable grace in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God gave me this chair. He gave me this spot in heaven to display not how wonderful I am, not to display the work that I had done. He put me here to display His character. He he put me here to display His work. Now, could you imagine with me that, that, I get, that I do get to heaven now, not, not spiritually, physically. Physically, I arrive in heaven, and I'll, there's my chair, there's where I've been sitting, that there's the position that I have derived all these benefits, and I come into heaven, and I take my spot at the table. And do you know that as I do that, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a, a vast realm of angels over here that are going to begin to applaud They're going to applaud. They're going to worship. And they're going to praise. There's going to be a a horde of of demons over here. Now, they won't worship. They they won't applaud. But you know what? They'll stand there in awe. They won't believe what they're seeing. There'll be humanity. And they'll all applaud. Why? Why are they applauding? Because they are overwhelmed that God could do, that God did do what He did to take me from that position that we talked about last week, that position of being so dead, of being so in rebellion to Him, and put me in this spot. I've got a spot. I've got a place at the table of God. And they'll be so in awe of that, they'll worship and they'll praise. Now, could you imagine that in, in the midst of that, all this applauding, all this worship, I go, oh, gosh... Oh, th- thank you. Really? No, guys, really? All that's not... Ne- Gee, thank you. No, it's, it's not... Ne- Stop it. Stop it. Oh, it's a, it was a long journey to get here. And I, I've got so many people to thank. Most of all you, Lord, you're number one. Couldn't have done it without you. Hey, you know what, Lord? Now that I am here, um, there's a couple things I'd like to discuss. A couple things I think maybe we want to do a little bit differently from now on. A C- couple things I'd like to see you kind of a, a, a adjust and change. You know, you know, I say that exaggeratingly, almost laughingly. Folks, that's what we do. We, we really do have a tendency to go from being so blessed to almost acting like, I'm, I'm owed this. I, I belong here. I, I, I have a, a, a right to this. And, and, and when we do that, do you know what's happening in that moment with that attitude? We are literally stealing God's glory. It's not my character. It's not my work that put me in this spot. It's His character and it's His work. And it's with that kind of understanding, it's in that mindset then that Paul continues in verse 8 and he says, man, when you arrive there, don't stand up like the applause is for you. Don't, don't act like you're owed this. Man, you were saved by grace. It's grace that puts you there. 
Now think of this. Look here. That's the beginning of verse 8. Now look at the end of verse 5. You're saved by grace. That's twice that God has made this statement in what? I mean, in my Bible, it's only three lines. In just three lines, He has twice now said, you're saved by grace. God's wanting to get this point across, isn't He? You know, grace isn't an offensive word. We're not bothered by the word grace. Grace is a a girl's name. Grace, Grace means something good. You know, we say grace before we... Grace means you didn't deserve this. You're unworthy of this. Now, is God saying this over and over and over to make us feel bad? Does He want you to feel beat up? Does He want you to feel like a worm that ought to be squashed? Is that why He's saying over and over? No. I think there's two reasons, probably more, but two reasons that come to my mind real quickly about why God is saying it over and over so that you get this. Number one, folks, you're not going to appreciate what God's done in your life if you think it was an obligation. We don't enjoy it. We don't experience it. We don't sense the love relationship when we feel like, hey, I'm owed this. Man, if I've worked for something, if I've done this, I don't say thank you. Give me what's coming to me. I'm owed this. We don't enjoy who God is and we don't enjoy what He's done in our lives and what it means to us when we approach Him with a sense of obligation. So we completely miss it when we act like it's something we've done. Second reason is, folks, it is actually wrong to steal something that belongs to somebody else. It's not my credit. My work, my character didn't put me there. His did. The glory, the credit belongs to Him. That's why it says here, it's not of works. Now, verse 8 adds two words that verse 5 didn't say. Verse 5 just said you're saved by grace. Verse 8 adds two words through faith. Through faith. 21 times in Paul's writings, he uses that expression, through faith. The, the means of salvation happens in your life through faith. It comes by that. Now, grace is still first. And I don't just mean in the word order there. I mean in the word order there. (laughs) What did he just say? I mean the grammar of this sentence is actually saying grace is in the prominent position. We're not going to express faith if there's no grace. It's because of God's grace that we have the opportunity to express faith. Now, what is faith? Well, faith is confidence. You're confident in something. You trust something. Let's think about this chair again. Now, take this chair out of heaven. It's not a chair in heaven anymore. It's just a chair here in the sanctuary. Have you transitioned with me? You're here? Okay, it's just a chair now. All right. Now, if I've got faith in that chair, then what I'm saying is I'm confident that if I sit in it, it will hold me up. I'm confident that if I sit in it, I trust that if I sit in it, it will do what a chair is supposed to do. Well, look at that. It worked. Now, let me ask you a question. A couple of questions. Did my confidence in this chair make it a chair? No. Did my confidence in this chair make it sturdy? No. Did my confidence in this chair make it trustworthy? No. All my confidence did, all my trust did, all my faith did was give me the ability and the opportunity to experience what this chair was. To experience what this chair is. To experience what it can be 
for me. My faith didn't make it anything. It just allowed me to experience it. It's by faith that we experience who God is and what He's done. You see, Christ's death on the cross is sufficient for everybody on the planet. But not everybody on the planet saved. Because Christ died for everybody does not mean everybody's saved. Everybody's going to heaven. No, His death is sufficient for everyone, but it's only efficient for those who place their faith in Him. It only works for those who experience, who move from putting their confidence. Well, you know, I put my confidence in. Well, you know what? I I think I know how to get to God. I think I can figure that out on my own. I like this religion. I stopped putting my confidence in my ability to pick religions and figure out how to belong to God or get to God. And I take and I put all my confidence in the words of Jesus Christ who said, nobody on this planet goes to my Father without coming through me. Now see, I've put confidence in those words. My confidence is He's the Son of God. My confidence is He has the authority to say that. My confidence is He has the authority to back it up. To prove it. And so I move from putting my confidence in anything else to putting my confidence in Jesus' words. My confidence is not in what kind of work I might do or in what kind of person I might be, but I've removed all that confidence and I've put it in the cross. All my confidence now is in what Jesus did for me at the cross. Okay? And that confidence gives me the ability to experience what He's done. Faith is not a work of mine. You know, I've, I, well, I did something. I, I had faith. Faith is not a work of mine that obligates God to do something. Faith is not something that makes what He did come to life and make it work. No, faith is just my opportunity to experience who He is, what He's done, and be able to enjoy it. And, and that's why this, this next verse here says, this is not of yourselves. None of this is of us. Well, you say, what, what's, not, what's not of us? Any of this. The grace is not of me. The saving is not of me. The faith, the faith, the faith I expressed in that chair, the faith I expressed in the cross, it's not of me. It all originated in God. It all came from Him. I, I can't take any work for it, uh, credit for it at all. It's a what? What does your Bible say? It's a gift. It's a gift. It's an undeserved gift. We do give gifts that people deserve, right? You know, they're a good friend to us. They mean a lot to us. And it's an appropriate occasion. And they kind of have earned, they kind of deserve this gift. Or sometimes we gift swap. No, we didn't deserve it. It's a gift given to us. Well, guys, don't I get to take credit for anything in this deal? Well, what do I get to brag about? Paul said, well, there is one thing to brag about. Galatians 6.14 says, But as for me, I will never brag. I will never boast. I will never put my confidence in. I will never proclaim anything. One thing. cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talked about some of the things he used to brag about. The things he used to put confidence in. Man, I, I used to trust in my, my heritage, my education. I used to trust in my wealth. I used, to, I used to trust in the position that I had attained in life. And he said, and I look back on all that now. Man, what a, what a pile of trash. What, what a waste. In light of what took place at the cross. That's, that's what I brag about now. That's what I proclaim. That's what my life is about. It's about the cross. 
Now, Paul wraps up this whole thought here in verse 10. And and there's a logic, there's a flow to what's taking place here. And verse 10 might seem to leave that. No, he continues his logic. Because you know what? Even after saying all that, there's still somebody out there who's thinking, I mean, surely my good works count for something. Surely my, my goodness and my character or that good act, that kind act I did for somebody still counts for something. And then when I do that, that obligates God. No, it doesn't. We all do that, you know. I, I've never done that. Sure you have. It's absolutely normal for us to come in here and think, you know, Lord, I, I, went, I went to church today. I, I put some money in the plate. It you know, sure seems like you could do your part now and help that meeting go pretty well this week. You know, Lord, I, I did that kind act. I, I did that good deed. It you know, seems like you could do, do this. You see, we make a lot of statements, bargainings with God. Think about what we're saying here. I'm in the good. I've done my part. Now God, do you realize in that moment, we've just made Him in debt. Let's take it a step further than obligation. I've paid. I've anted up. I've brought to the table what needs to be brought to the table. God, I was in church today. I even sang loud. I don't even like singing. I did my part, God. It seems like now you should show up and do your part. And by the way, here's the part I'd like you to do. It's very natural for us to approach God with this mindset of, I've done my part. I've been good. And Ephesians 2.10 here says, No. If you are good, and if you've done anything good, it's because that's how He created you. That's how He crafted you. The, the work there is really one of an artist or, or a, a master workman, a, a, craftsman, a craftsman. He artistically, He masterpieced you together to do good. And you know we messed that up. We absolutely messed that all up. But you know what? But God, but God made us alive resurrected us, seated us, so that now we could live out the goodness that He crafted us to be. So that we could do these good works, these good things that He created, that He put us together to be. So no, we can't take credit for the good. Good works don't save us. They're just evidence that we are indeed saved. Now, why is it so important that we get the message of Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Why is this so significant to our relationship, to our walk with God? I want to show you why. Look with me at Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Old Testament. We don't get there a lot. Get to the kind of the middle of the Old Testament. Psalms, Proverbs, and head to the right. You'll travel through some big books. Isaiah, Jeremiah. You'll get to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. And I want to begin about in the middle of verse 12. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Very significant passage. Ezekiel 28. Still papers. is a little bit hard one to find, isn't it? We'd never find it if it wasn't so many chapters. Ezekiel 28. Here we go. Verse 12. Right in the middle. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every kind of precious stone covered you. Carnelian, topaz, and diamond, 
beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald. This is a lady's dream come true, isn't it? Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on the day you were created. You were an anointed guardian cherub. For I had appointed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and banished you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud because of your beauty. The passage I just read to you describes an angel. Maybe one of the pinnacles of God's, of everything God created, certainly a pinnacle among the angelic realm. This angel was very unique, very unique in his position, literally his proximity to God. His closeness, his his actual proximity to God was very unique. His beauty was unlike anything else in all of creation. His power and authority was unlike anything else in all of creation. God created him, Ephesians 2.10. God created him. That way, God bestowed upon him. The angel hadn't done anything. He was created that way. And then God bestowed upon him that seat at the table, that chair. But it says pride entered. Pride. Entitlement. I own this spot at the table. I belong here. And you know what happens when that thought process begins? Now, the spot that was afforded him is not enough. I want the spot of God. I don't want any position over me. Do you see the trip being taken here? And that angel was banished, kicked out of heaven. You know his name. Scripture tells us the name of that angel. It's Satan. Everything God has created us to be and do. Everything God has created for us and done for us in our lives, this position, this place He gives us in creation is a gift. It was done by His grace. It was done to display not how wonderful we are. It was done to display how wonderful He is. And that moment that we begin to approach God like, You owe me. I've done this. I belong here. That's the moment that we are just like Satan. And that is how He's going to move in your life, Satan. That is how He's going. He's going to tell you, God's holding back from you. God owes you something. God's not doing up. God's not holding up His end of the bargain. You belong here. You're good. This is your spot. Man, I don't want to be just like Satan. I want to enjoy. I don't want to feel entitled to what God's provided. I want to enjoy what God's provided. I want to experience what God's provided. And it was all done for me. By grace. For by grace, you're saved. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before You right now and we're maybe becoming aware, we're, we're trying to remember, we're trying to realize maybe the different ways that we've approached You. And we might praise You and we might tell You that we love You and we might do all the things that we're supposed to do, but there are times when we have approached You and we kind of act like we belong there. We, we act like we've done our part, we're in the good, and we put You indebted to us. You owe me an answer. You owe me a resolution to that problem. God, You didn't do what You were supposed to do. Oh God, may we recognize that thought process as satanic. As Satan moving in our lives to lead us to failure in the same way that he failed. Lord, I, I don't want to take the path He took. I want to let Your grace put me in that chair. And I want to let You use me in a way that leads humanity and the angelic realm, even the demons, to stand in awe. Not of what I did, but of what You can do. God, may my life be a trophy of Your grace. God, may that be the prayer of every one of us. And, and, and may we go out into that world like people who are living in grace. May we not go out there to demand. May we not go out there feeling ripped off. May we not go out there thinking about what somebody owes. But may we live as a people who enjoy the blessing of all that God has done. God, may we understand grace. May every day of our lives we grow in our understanding of grace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Let me ask you today, have you ever come to that place in your life where you've removed your confidence from the things of the world? You've removed your confidence from your own way of thinking. You've removed your confidence from your goodness and your works. And you've put all of your confidence in Jesus Christ. You know what? That's an act. That's a point in time when that confidence shifts from over here to over here. It's at that point that we become a child of God. Are you a child of God? Have you shifted your confidence? If you're not sure that you have, I want to give you that opportunity right now today. Jesus says, come to me. Come put your confidence in me. And if you come, he receives you. There's not a person in this room he wouldn't receive. He would receive anybody who comes. We have a time of invitation now. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. Would you, by faith, by faith, step out of that pew and come forward. Tell one of these pastors, I want to put my confidence in Jesus Christ. Let us pray with you, talk with you for a moment about how you can have that relationship. Maybe today you want to come. You've already placed your faith in Christ, but you know that this is the place that Christ would now have you to hook up your life with and be a part of in a church family. If God's leading you to become a part of our church home, this time, this moment right here is for you also. So as we stand and as we sing, is Jesus calling you forward? Say yes. You can trust Him. Put your confidence in 